0: You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley titled "Living Life with Purpose," a standalone sermon. For more info, visit creekside.org. When I was a young youth pastor over in Lodi, California, just east of here, there was a golf pro there. His name was Ollie Gibbs. And he had played on the European Golf Tour, and he probably had one of the sweetest swings that I've ever, 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 ever seen. I had the joy of playing with him a few times, and I did some things with him in, in the church. And very unassuming, just a, just a, he just loved Jesus, and uh, he was probably in his mid fifties at this time, and I was in my early twenties. And so finally, we went out golfing. We golfed a couple of times. I said, oh, I just, would you just give me one lesson? To Teach me how to swing like you do. And I I had just started golfing at that time when I moved down uh, to Lodi. And as only all he could do in his kind and gracious way, he looks at me and he goes, boy, you know what I would do if I were a UTR? I think I would just take two weeks off and quit. (laughs) And I I said, well, thanks. That's great encouragement. He says, I'll tell you what, I can't make you a pro like I was, and I can't even guarantee that I'll give you a swing like I have. But I do believe I can teach you the basics of having a really good golf swing. But once I teach you that, you have to purpose in your heart. You've got a purpose in your life that you're going to simply practice and practice the correct swing. It's the only way it's ever going to work. You've got to get the foundation, you've got to get the fundamentals, and then you've got to learn it. Because here's what happens. If you don't learn the foundation and the fundamentals of it, you'll hit a bad shot and you won't know why. Or if you hit a bad shot, you won't know how to correct it. But if I can teach you, and if you can learn and pick up just how to hit a fluid, fundamentally sound golf swing, you can probably figure out how to do it. Well, that's the only golf lesson I've had in my life. And for a number of years, I was a fairly decent golfer based on statistics. Interestingly enough, uh, Creekside has a lot of good golfers. And recently, I was out golfing with one of the really good golfers at Creekside. And after we were done, we finished, and I took off. And he comes by the church a couple of hours later after we had finished, and he has a gift certificate that he gives to me for a golf lesson. I go, go figure, what, is, what, what, are you, what are you trying to tell me? I haven't taken it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Well, the, the important lesson that I got from Ollie is a life lesson and a spiritual life lesson. you got to have purpose. you got to establish fundamentals. You must always work on that foundation so that you really do have a correct image of what God wants from your life. Because it really starts with our hearts and our heart, and our head toward the word, and that we align ourselves with the word. You'll see there on your program, it says a purpose in your notes, an intended or desired result, an aim or a goal, a determination, a resoluteness, where you just say, that's it. I am resolved to have purpose in my life. And I want to look at some of the words in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 from the Apostle Paul as he concludes his letter to probably the most carnal church in the New Testament. It was filled with difficult circumstances and Paul had to go in there and bring corrections because he was a, a prophet. He was an apostle of Christ. And he was able to do this because he himself lived with such incredible purpose. And so he comes and he speaks to this church, and I want to look at a few of his convictions that he speaks to them at the end and closes out this letter, because this church brought him many challenges because of the issues that they had within that I will not enumerate. But in the end, he challenges them with some convictions, and he says, I want you to live a purposeful life. I want you to follow Christ, and I don't want you to lose sight of the foundational things that I've been telling you. And while Paul speaks to them in the first probably 15 chapters, kind of like a bull in a china closet, if you know the Apostle Paul, he's this aggressive, assertive prophet, and he speaks to them very strongly, in the end, he speaks to them with great love. So we're going to pick it up in uh, chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, verse 5. And you begin to see the tenderness of Paul in the midst of some of his toughness that comes earlier. He says, I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be traveling through Macedonia. And perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter with you, um, spend the winter with you so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing. What he's saying, I want to spend time with you. I don't want to just hang with you for a night. I want to spend time with you. For I hope to send some with you if the Lord allows. I'm sorry. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. It's a great way to live. If the Lord allows. I don't know what's going to happen. Why doesn't he know what's going to happen? Well, you'll see here. But I I will stay in, in Ephesus until Pentecost because the whole door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. So he says, I don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of people that are against me. But he says, if Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear from you because he is doing the Lord's work just as I am. Timothy was a little bit timid. Uh, and so he says, listen, don't, 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 let him, don't let him experience your fear. Therefore, no one should look down on him. But you should send him on his way in peace so that he can come to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Timothy was his mentor in the faith, his son in the faith, that ended up leading the church in Ephesus. Verse 12 says, now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. However, when he has time, he will come. Verse 13, and here's the memory verse, and here's what I want to focus on today. Paul says this, I want you to be alert. I want you to stand firm in the faith. I want you to be brave and strong. May your every action, it must be done with love. Brothers, you know the household of Stephanus. They were the first fruits of of Achaia. And they devoted themselves to serving the saints. They devoted themselves to serving the saints. That's what we do. We devote ourselves to serving others. He says, I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I am delighted over the presence of Stephanus, um, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, because these men have made up for your absence. He says, you know what? These people have come, and they've blessed me, and they've helped me. You haven't been able to be here, but they've done it. And this is, I love this statement. He says, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Isn't that great? recognize such people. Now the churches of the Asian province greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is from my own hands. Paul says, listen, I'm not sending this text. I'm not sending it via Facebook. I'm not sending it via email. I'm writing this with my own hands. No, they didn't have text or email back then. I know. But he's saying, you know what, I didn't have somebody else write it. I'm writing this. That's how much I care for you. Because then he says, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Maranatha. Maranatha means Lord come quickly. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. In his last words, what does he say? My love be with you. All of you in Christ Jesus. The first thing that he says here, he talks in the end, and he, and he inserts this major challenge to them. He says, if you're going to live a life with purpose, it's going to start with number one, be alert. Well, what does be alert with? He also has the idea of be on guard, be watchful. If you would turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, excuse me, it's chapter 6, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the, first, it's the fifth book of the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, Moses is giving his altar call to Israel, and this is what he says, this is the command, the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God has instructed me to teach. This is, the book of Deuteronomy is five sermons by Moses, and he gives it to the people as they stand on the precipice of entering the promised land. Moses knows he's not going to enter in with him, so he says, listen up, here's your kind of marching orders for going in. This is his first sermon. And he says, The Lord your God has instructed me to teach you so that you may follow him in the land that you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God with all the days of your life by keeping all these statutes and commands. You keep what has been spoken. You keep the word that has been given to you. Why? So that you may live a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land that's filling with, uh, flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4 says, listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words I am giving you today to be on your heart, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. What he's saying is live out the purposes of the word that God gives you. So the focus here, as he gives this altar call to Israel, it's much like what Paul is doing at the conclusion of 1 Corinthians 16. He's challenging them, be purposeful in your life. And be alert. And he says here, verse 2 of, of, of chapter 6, he says, I want you to fear the Lord. Have a reverence in knowing him as the Lord of your life, th- that he motivates you to walk with him. Learn of him and learn of his ways and do them. And then verse 3, he says, keep his ways. Not only learn in them and grow in them, but do them. And then verse 5, he says, make decisions to love him with your whole being. You know, that's one of the things, I, I Lord, am I, am I really loving you? Or am I just kind of following you mentally in the scent? But he says, I want you to love me with your whole heart, your whole being, your whole mind, soul, and spirit. And then he says in verse 7, impress them on your children. Teach them how to grow up and to walk in the ways of the Lord. Don't just, don't just get your kids involved in simple religious activity. But he says, I want you to teach them in a way that they're going to know me. Now, hear me. To be on the alert, you have to have objectives. What is my life about? Where am I going, and what am I going to do? Because your ob- the objectives that you pursue, friends, will always bring about things in the end. If you don't have a desire, if you don't have a purpose, if you don't have a focus and a direction, nothing of substance is going to happen in your life or around you. That's why he says, "Be alert. Be aware." Be on guard because there's everything in this life that's pressing into you and pressing against the objectives and the purposes that God has for your life. When I was in in grade school, my dad did not come up to me on school days and go, Terry Dearest, it's my firstborn son, would you like to go to school today? He never asked me that. It was kick the door open, get up, you're going to school. There's not a chance that he ever asked me if I wanted to go. And I've told you probably 10 times. Once him and my uh, third mother got saved, church was the same way. It was get up and go unless you're working. It was never an option. There was no discussion. And I know some of us, you know, because we're just so soft and tender, oh, that's just not very gracious. Hey, listen, you know what the scripture says? It's very clear. And while I believe in a loving and gracious and kind Jesus, and God of the universe, there's some firmness. There's some things that he says I want you to be alert to. Because if you're not alert to them, the scripture's clear that you need to be alert or you won't have results or at least good ones that are righteous and blessed by the Lord in your life without being committed to Jesus and his truth. Remember, hear me, loved ones, everything that he asks you to do is for your benefit, not his. And so often, don't we just think, oh, God, he's just up there, wants me to do this and that for him. No, 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 no. Even if it is for him, it's always for you. I mean, just think. I mean, you know, we're we're average parents at best. And everything we ask our kids to do generally, hopefully, has purpose behind it that's bigger than just what we're asking them to do. And that's what he's saying here. He says, I want you to be alert. Because see, when you go your own way, how many of us have found out, don't raise your hands, but how many of us have found out when we try and figure it out on our own, go our own way, we'll oftentimes have trouble? Yeah, yeah, it's I, I do. That's why Proverbs 14:12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but it leads to death. It's not going to produce life. Here's a few baselines that I've learned for being alert and on guard. Number one, I am responsible for my life. That's a good one to write down. No one else will answer for your life. I will not and I cannot blame others, although I may want to. Nobody around here is responsible for who I am or who I'm not. I'm responsible for my attitudes and my actions and how I live. And I can't blame them on people, on my past or past or present difficulties. I am responsible. And I'm always amazed at how many people don't want to take that track. And because of that, they never get out of the things that they face. And because of that, God can't lead them out. Never, I never want to forget what God can do. What God has done for others, I know that he can do for me. But it's easy to forget that in tough times, isn't it? It's easy to forget that God can get me through them. See, good times can move us from our sense of needing Him, while difficult times can, lose, can cause us to lose our focus and trust in Him. And so somewhere in there, we have to always be moving with this sense of alertness to believe that what God has done for others, what He did for these people in here, He will do for me. Here's another thing, another baseline if you want to be alert, that you are always accountable to God. All I do, all I say Each one of us will give an account for our lives one day. You will stand before Almighty God. Some of us have probably worked in companies or worked in businesses where there wasn't a lot of accountability. And what happens? A lot of things don't get done, or a lot of things don't get done right, or a lot of things don't get done well where there's not a lot of accountability because you know what? There's very few people that are highly intrinsically motivated to give their best. many people in life just want to get through, get by, and get done. But God says, you know something, there's going to be accountability. There's going to be a day where you're going to stand before him. How you, how you treated your spouse, how you treated raised your children, how you did your job, how you did your work. And he even goes to, as far as to say that how you do these things is going to affect eternity and what you do there. Now, some of us say, well, because here's the truth. If you read Matthew 25 and Luke 19, you know what the reward for a job well done is, don't you? More work. So some of us go, I think I'll just become a slacker then. (laughs) But No, whatever we get to do in heaven will be good, will be great stuff. Paul is saying, and Moses is saying, that the critical issue is this, for your future, and listen, hear me, hear me, hear me, for future generations... You want to be alert. You want to be on guard. I love what John Wesley said. And I'm trying really hard to begin to ingrain this in my thinking every day. I judge all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. What am I doing today to now that's going to have value in eternity? Because that will keep you alert. That will keep you on guard. And notice the other thing he says here, he says, I don't only want you to be alert, but I want you to stand firm in the faith. See, the greatest faith for you and I, loved ones, is simply to trust and do what God says, and trusting him with the outcomes. Remember Noah, he's called to build an ark for anywhere from 100 to 120 years. He's pounding on the deck, and day by day, you can hear the hammer pounding on the wood. People are laughing at him, and what does he do? He just keeps going. He just keeps doing what God said, and then he builds the ark. God brings the rain. Remember Jesus has everybody sit down, and everybody's hungry. He's been talking to them, and he's been ministering to them, and they're hungry, and the disciples go, send them home. And what does Jesus do? He says, no, we're going to feed them, have them seated. And this little boy comes up with with, uh, two little uh, fish and five loaves of bread. And what does Jesus do? He begins to multiply begins to multiply. See, faith does. Faith brings you, your life, everything of you to Jesus. Have you ever looked at a massive oak tree, and did you realize that it's starting from nothing more than just this little fruit nut, and it refused to give ground to get to the largeness of where it was or is today? Hear me, loved ones, by God's grace, grace. You can stand firm. You don't have to give ground in your life to the enemy, to the circumstances of your life. I just recently received a text from a former Creeksider who I love deeply, but he's very troubled. I forgot to bring my phone to read it to you, but in essence, this is what he says. Um, He gave a clarion call via text to me the other day, and he just said, and I answered, and encouraged him and said, I pray for him, and then I asked him this question. I said, what can I do for you right now? You know what he said? He said, nothing. I'm losing all hope, and I'm losing all faith in God. I've had counselors tell me there's no hope. He said, I'm a double person. I'm an impulsive person, and I can't get beyond it. Let me tell you, loved ones, nobody is ever hopeless or lost in Christ Jesus, but we have to stand firm, and how do you do that, you stand firm in your times of worship, you're committed to study God's word, to be faithful in prayer, to be in community, to be connected, so if you have tendencies to feel that way, you can text, call on somebody, and since this brother has moved, I don't know how connected he is, that's my question here in the next day or two, But you can't do this thing alone. This world is too difficult. There's too much pressure. People who make it spiritually, who have a successful life, usually have one thing in common. Two things, they're in community. And then a small, they're, they're, they're part of that small percentage of people who finish what they begin. They're finishers whether it's a career, whether it's the kids or God's kingdom or God's call on their lives. How many people do we know they get got great ideas? They start strong, but they can't finish and see it through. That's why it's always interesting, even with preachers. I've never yet met a preacher that had struggles and left a church that didn't always leave it for a bigger church or a better church or a better paying church. It's funny how God always speaks, isn't it? How about you? What what motivates you? Are you a finisher? You finish what God has for you. Jesus was a firm finisher. Remember what he said in John 17, 4, as he's addressing and praying for the disciples. He says, Father, I have glorified thee, and I've finished the work that you've given to me to do. John 19, verse 30, he's on the cross, and what is Jesus? He's dying. And his final words are what? It is finished. See, you, you, you can't just have an idea. You can't just say, well, you know, I'm going to journal this and I'm going to be firm in my faith and write this down. you got to do it. Under the power and the grace of Jesus Christ, the leading of God's spirit, you got to do it. Are you standing in, firm in your faith now? Are you believing God for things in your life, for your kids, for your work? Because the next thing he says is be brave and strong. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be brave and strong. I remember reading about this in this last week. I've told you this now a couple of times. I'm spending a lot more time reading about some of the old folk in the faith. Missionaries. Some of my heroes. Billy Graham, Mother Teresa. story about Billy Graham. He received the Congressional Gold Medal of honor on May 2nd, 1996. I remember just hearing parts of that. and So I went back this week and I watched it again. But he received this. He was 77 years old, the Reverend Billy Graham. Um, The first uh, gold medal of honor, if you remember, went to um, George Washington, General President George Washington in 1776. What's so powerful about this is is Dr. Graham, and he's just one of my heroes in the faith because he's a finisher. He's like 90,000 years old now, but he's still alive. He's 90-something. Sorry if you're 90, but he's he's doing so, I mean, he's just, he finished with impeccable integrity. And so at 77 years old, he's a little bit frail even then. He comes to the lectern to speak to all these dignitaries. He's addressing our nation's most prominent, powerful men in the Capitol and women, in the Capitol building rotunda. And he comes up and he speaks with this incredible courage and conviction. Billy Graham, he tells the story how the gospel of Jesus Christ came to change his life as a teenager and how he needed to respond to the message of Christ, to repent of his sin, come to the foot of the cross. I mean, here's all these, you know, he doesn't just go up and tell a joke. He says, this is what happened to me. So he's dealing with this wide cross-section of religious and non-religious people. And then he talks about how at the at the beginning of the 20th century, how everyone was excited. They were filled with hope about the future because they loved and they served God and they would influ- and that, that, that everybody believed and hoped that this would influence peace and prosperity into the 20th century. And then he's 20th century. And then he says, but then there was this shift. In the 20th century, where human evil took over, as people began to walk away from God because they begin to confuse their liberty with their license, and he goes on to talk about the 20th century and all the th- some of the few of the things that happened, and then he talks. He says he he says earlier today I walked into Statutory Hall, which is the Rotunda area. And there's all of these, and he's looking at these massive, impressive statues of truly brilliant American people and historians with great accomplishments. He says, I walked in here, and he's looking around, and he's kind of pointing at these statues. And what does he say? He says, You know what's amazing about all of them? They have one thing in common they're all dead. He pauses, as only great preachers can do, and he says, and you know what else? We're going to join them. He says, death is the one reality of all human life. We're all going to die. And then he takes about five minutes, and he begins to pointedly preach from Psalm 23, and he talks about humanity's three greatest needs, which is dealing with human emptiness and sorrow, the problem of guilt because of sin, and the fear of death. And it's only found in the great shepherd, a relationship with Christ. You want to talk about being brave and being strong at 77? I would have thought, let's go in there and have, well, let's just kind of have some fun here. But he goes in there and he gets in there. these guys' women's grill and he says, you, you, you think you bring hope because of your political prowess? If you don't bring Jesus to deal with the human suffering and sorrow and guilt and the fear of death, you'll do nothing. Thank you very much. See, the scripture says, be strong. What does that mean? To be strong in convictions concerning the things of God. It's not based on personal convenience or the crowd around us and what's taking place. It's not based on conventional wisdom or what's the word on the street. But like Billy Graham is speaking, who's speaking to some of the most powerful people in the world. And he courageously says, every one of us needs to repent and respond to Jesus Christ. Because that is the only hope. For brokenness in our world today, and it's found through a relationship with this great shepherd called Jesus Christ. I want to make sure that, in the fourth quarter of my life, that I'm taking myself less seriously and the things of God even more seriously. Because we live with such a sense of purpose and meaning, it only happens, loved ones, when you determine to do it in the grace and the power of walking in a relationship with the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. I want to have fun. I'm going to have fun. I want to laugh. But I never want to forget that purpose. Because Paul goes on, he says, and I want you to do it all in love. He says, in the end, I want you to do everything in love. Can I tell you what I want to make sure that our church is, I want to make sure that our church will not be defined so much by what we separate ourselves from, but what we have given ourselves to. Well, let me give you an example in a broad term. Uh, Somebody recently left our church in the last, I must say, year. Um, they left our church over an issue that I have strong conviction about. But, but here's, the, here's the rub. When they left, they didn't talk to me. They talked to another staff who was good friends with them, and I was friends with them as well. But when they left, they just left. And I know why they were mad and, 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 and everything. It wasn't something that we did as much as a belief that we hold and a conviction that is biblical that we have that I would not um, move back on. But here's the deal. This person talked to some other people, and they ended up leaving, and I understand all that. But my concern is, is that this person leaves without really understanding the heartbeat of this pastor, this shepherd, and this church. As I was even praying about this this morning, the words came to me that we have to have biblical conviction but Christ-like compassion. And so actually I wrote this person a week and a half ago. I said, I would love to talk to you. I will take you out to breakfast or lunch, but I want to talk to you. And then I want to talk to some of the people in your community and I would love to open up a dialogue with them. Because I don't want you, I don't want us, I don't want me, and I don't want Creekside to be known for what we're against. But I want people to know what we're for. Because too many churches are known for what they're against. I want to do everything we do in love. Because hear me, listen. Remember I talked about accountability? When you stand before Jesus someday, let me just kind of crowd you a little bit. When you stand before the Lord, He's not going to ask how many Facebook friends you had. He's not going to ask how many Twitter followers you had. He's not even going to ask, well, man, I know I was really proud of Creekside. They started memorizing the verses. How many did you get? Quote them. He ain't going to do that. You know what he's going to do? He's going to say, how many people did you really love? How many people did you really speak to about me? And how many people did your love bring to me? I, I think that's what he's going to ask. Is there anybody here because of your love for them? See, we live in a few, we, we live, loved ones, never forget this, with a future and a hope, but we live in an unfirm, flabby world. And, he, and, and, G, and, and Paul says, be firm in your faith. Well, what is flabby? basically mean, well, I could show you, but I won't. But it, it basically means you have no firmness, no real strength, because you have little discipline. And Paul says, listen, I'm going to challenge you. I want you to be firm in your faith, but I want you to do it all in love, because there's a lot of people that are firm in their faith, but there's very little love. But I want you to be firm in your faith, so that when you have the opportunity, like a Billy Graham, no matter who you're speaking to, you can speak into their lives and you'll be willing to speak out and follow Jesus. When was the last time maybe you spoke to somebody about the Lord? Just shared your story. When was the last time maybe you gave an invitation to somebody for church? Because here it is, loved ones, it's, well, it's, most people, if they're invited, not all, but many will come. One of the things I've loved, and if you were at Town Hall, you know that I've cut back on, I didn't go to our conference this last week uh, down in Southern California. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to go to meetings. I'm not saying, wow, I'm really good about it. I just, I, I'm trying to cut back from all this stuff and what it's done. It's afforded me, afforded me greater opportunities to not be going here and there and doing this and that and everywhere. And you know what's happening? I'm getting more opportunities to share the Lord. this last week, I got to sit down over coffee with a person in Martinez, just hear their story. It's pretty broad, but the door's open. So here's the question. In the midst of all of our business, who are you sharing the Lord with? Because at the core of our life and our purpose, it's very simple. Know and love Jesus with all of our life. That's the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we read from. Jesus quotes that in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your life. So know and love Jesus with all your life. Live life accordingly based on that, and then influence others appropriately. It doesn't mean preach at them. It doesn't mean tell them where they're wrong and how bad they are. It just means we share Jesus with them appropriately. And that's what Paul's doing here. Paul says, my love be with you. See, those in Corinth, they could have said, Well, you say you loved us, but why were you so hard on us? Why were you so rough on us? Paul says, I love you. You know why? You know why he was tough on him? Because if you read the first 15, 14 chapters, you'll see he was pretty tough on him. He was calling a lot of people out there. But he understands this. He says, I love you. Because Proverbs 27, 5 says this, better is open reprimand than concealed love. It's easier to ignore a prickly situation and not belly up to it than face it square on. Love says this, I care more about your well-being than what you think of me. And I'm surprised how many of us Christians live that way. We're afraid to crowd people around us. I'm amazed at how many parents are afraid to crowd their kids. Because well, what are they going to think of me? Not much. Not much in the end. I care more about your well-being than what you think of me. I don't care. You know what? You may not think I'm a nice guy. That's all right. But if what I say will help provoke you to greater love for Christ, here's what Proverbs says. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But we've got to do it in love. As we noted from character counts in Galatians 5, this only happens as we serve Jesus. Let me give you the last one. We've got to serve him and his. Acts 20, 22, and 24 says this. Listen, Paul is writing again, He's and he's writing in the book of Acts the historical narrative of the church that takes place over about 60 years. And he says, and now I am on my way to Jerusalem. I'm bound in my spirit. I want to go. I don't know what I will encounter there except that in that town... Except in town after town, the Holy Spirit testifies to me, speaks to him, shares with him that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. Here's what I would do I think I got a call to a different city, to a different place, if I sense that that's what the Holy Spirit says to me. But not Paul. He says, The Spirit's telling me, but I got to go, I'm compelled. Why? Because I don't count my life as any value to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus because I want to testify of the gospel of grace, the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's my purpose. I'll die for it. Paul says, wherever I go, the Holy Spirit is warming, but i got to do what He says, There's always that time of responding to the call of the Spirit in your life, loved ones. To serve Him. To serve His. What if He says to you, I want you to go teach the little three-year-olds or the five-year-olds or the seven-year-olds. Or I want you to join the hospitality team. Or... I want you to start giving. I want you to start investing your life and your resources into this thing called the kingdom of God. See, those things aren't romantic and they're not really very cool. But if that's what God's asking you to do, will you do it? Because it's possible that there's people that are here, you know, you've, You've never served. You've never really invested your life in serving in the mission of what God's calling Creekside to do. You can't find in the Old Testament where that's, excuse me, in the New Testament where that's an option. Paul says, let every action be done with love. I want you to serve with people who serve. I think it's the King James Version that says that, I think it's Achaia, it says they have devoted themselves to serving the saints. Here's a word that I think the King James uses. They're addicted. (laughs) I love that. They're addicted to serving. Jim Elliott was born October 8th, 1927 in Portland, Oregon. Died January eighth, nineteen fifty six, at the age of twenty eight. Jim Elliot was a missionary to Ecuador. He went with four other missionaries: Ed McCauley, Roger Urderani, and Peter Fleming. And their pilot was Nate Saint. What a great name for a missionary! They actually were flying around these uh, this. Uh, this Indian people, the Huarani people in Ecuador, and they were flying around. They used a loudspeaker and a basket to pass down gifts. Well, after several months, they got to know some of these people, and the men decided to build a base that was closer, uh, just a short distance from the Indian village or along the Curaray River. It was there that they were approached by one of the small group of, of Huarani men, and he actually was, wanted to take a ride with them up in their plane, and they called him George. So they were very encouraged by these friendly encounters and they began their plans to visit the Huarani. Well, they didn't know much about them, but their plans as they were getting ready to meet them when they were preempted by the arrival of of a larger group of about 10 Huarani warriors who killed Elliot and his four companions on January eighth, 1956. Interestingly, uh, Elliot's body was found downstream and... and, uh, um, the other guys were found at different place, places. As he prepared to leave for Ecuador, Jim Elliott wrote this in his journal in 1949 because he was expressing his belief that his work was dedicated to and his life had purpose and that Jesus was more important than his life. And this is what he said. Many of us have heard it. He is no, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I, I, I don't want to make anybody feel bad today, but there's times I am, I'm just getting a little bit more uncomfortable and embarrassed by my lack of courage that I've had and lack of sacrifice and commitment to really hear God's voice and just simply follow it. To do what it says. To kind of be like the one who loves me so much, Jesus, when he said, you know what? Whatever the Father says, I do. Whatever I see the Father doing, I do. It's so easy for me to lack courage and not speak up when I need to. It's so easy for me to lack conviction when I'm concerned about maybe what somebody's going to think. Anybody else ever feel that? For you and for me, whatever the cost is to answer the call of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ who came and died for our sins. I want to pray for us as a church, for me as a pastor, for you as a people, that we would increase our heart, that we would be alert, we would stand firm in the faith, we would be brave and strong, that every action we do would be from love and we would be so motivated to serve him and to serve his.